Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks again to you guys for joining us. We're doing a draft. We are drafting the 10 most important people in the college football playoff race for 2022. And Shahan, we've been like discussing the parameters. Nothing more fun than parameters. We are each going to draft five people. You were going to do this for yourself, but you were going to let me do whatever I want because, you know, I'm not as advanced as you. I'm sort of like, I have to have the, the simpler context, right? You're on the advanced level and I'm on the basic level. So you're going to let me draft like five famous people while you like drafted, you know, backup safeties and explained why they were so important to the playoff race. But we've actually decided we're each going to draft five people, one head coach each, one quarterback each, max. You don't have to take a quarterback or a head coach, but your, your list can't be Nick Saban, Ryan Day, Dabo Sweeney. Is that appropriate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, if you're familiar with golf, I was ready to give you the handicap, mm. but I guess, I guess we're, uh, I guess we're evening it up. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if this game is fair as usual, but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think, look, Bryce Young's going to get picked. Nick Saban's going to get picked. Don't worry. But I do think that, uh, that it is interesting to kind of go a little deeper than that. I think that the show was built around trying to get a little deeper. Uh, than that and and so you know we can list five quarterbacks and five uh coaches some other time but this is i think where trying to figure out some of those other names who really might play a part could get really interesting i was not informed about that this show goes deeper i wish we would have talked about that <laughs> before we had started this whole thing what if i said what if this whole thing like i'm dumb right people will come on the thing you're smart i'm dumb what if it's a long con and i'm just waiting for the right episode to be like wait he's smart He's smart, right? Maybe. That's a good tease for make people listen for the next five years. Oh, I'm just going to keep waiting for the episode where Doug suddenly reveals himself as smart. Maybe it's this week. What's the payoff? Like, it, you're not, we're not betting. Or you're not hustling me. I don't, what's, what's the payoff? My wife asked me that same question. Yeah. Like, <laughs> at someday he's going to be a competent husband. Oh, great. What a gag. Nice prank. Nice 36 years of marriage prank got him haha ha. i'm not a buffoon i will say i'm not drafting bryce young because here's how i try to look at it okay so i i tried to how do, how, how do i explain how does doug explain what his brain says i want it to be like the biggest gap right that what if this person is like great or terrible and maybe both things are on the table that like Bryce Young so like DJ Uyunglele would have turned out to be a great pick a year ago right because if you thought hey this guy's like a top 3 Heisman contender and then it turns out he's the 10th best quarterback in his own conference and that wide range of play had a tremendous effect on Clemson's playoff hopes. I think DJ Uyunglele, actually, if we did this in ooh, do it in reverse, if we did it backwards, I think he might be the number one pick last year. Who had the biggest impact on the playoff race? Now, of course, you could get into, but if we were doing Georgia, my my pick for Georgia, I don't think would be Jordan Davis or Nicobe Dean. I don't know if there would be a pick for Georgia, honestly. But it might be Stetson Bennett. Like that Stetson Bennett is good enough. Right now, it's a quarterback. We're talking two quarterbacks, those are obvious. But like he was good enough, and that did it. Right? You know who would have been a huge pick? Aiden Hutchinson. 
probably as a number one pick, right, is up there with DJ the other way. Michigan doesn't make the playoff without Aiden Hutchinson. With him, they do make the playoff. Maybe he's the number But that's what we're kind of looking for here. I So I, I would push back, though, because I do think that heading into the year, Bryce Young and DJ Uyunglele, like you probably would have almost leaned DJ with what he showed the year before. And so I actually do think that Bryce Young's variance is the reason that Alabama played for a national championship. That actually is a good point. Yes, yes. But listen, if you're not going to take him, I'll, I'll happily take him. But is there variance with him now? Like last year, there was variance because he hadn't started before. Now he's the reigning Heisman winner. Nobody thinks like, well, you know who would have had huge variance? Spencer Rattler wound up having huge variance. He would have been a huge <laughs> pick if we were going backwards, yeah. right? So, uh, yes. They did lose two first-round wide receivers. I, I think that there is still a lot to, to think about there. Now, again, there's only going to be two quarterbacks picked. It might not end up being Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. It might end up being somebody completely different. But I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be curious. I'll be curious. I think that uh, that we'll, we'll get into this. And and I think mm-hmm. that I think that who we pick as each of our head coach and each of our quarterback will will actually be really interesting. All right, we're trying to be smart, interesting, and. C- and clever again. This is this. I do need a handicap. If that's if that's, <laughs> oh, what's Doug's clever handicap? He's like a plus twenty one. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're trying to. We want you. It's not just the most obvious. We're going to be graded on. We want you, the listeners, when we make our picks, to be like, "Wow, that was a great pick!" Right. So that's the judge of that's the judgment of a great pick. So I also feel like I should get to go first. Because I'm so stupid. Please, please. So can, can I now? So if I'm going to go first, I am going to do a super. O- <laughs> now I'm going to go super obvious and just be super obvious. But I do think there is variance here, and I do think there. This is somewhat not untested, but a little more unknown than other people in this person's position. And I'll take Lincoln Riley. Because I'm taking Lincoln Riley, the head coach, not just Lincoln Riley, the offensive play caller, quarterback, guru, guy who can scheme up 60 points. I'm taking Lincoln Riley, can I build a team of transfer parts and become a national title contender in year one? We saw Mel Tucker last year at Michigan State build a team a lot out of the transfer portal that was a top 10 team. Mel Tucker brought that together. Jordan Addison, the latest addition in the portal at USC. It's basically like a, I mean, it's like the Heat or whatever. Right? It's like the, it's like a super team. It's like there's were a couple guys who were there, but they're bringing everybody in. I I don't know if there's like a team, not you know, like a, a team builder outside, like you know, leadership coach at USC that I should have picked instead of Lincoln Riley. But the question is, can you take the pieces and make a team? Because, man, they keep adding pieces. I know you wrote a piece. I was just reading it. I love, can I tell you the joy it brings my heart when I'm in the Google machine? Jordan Addison, trans. I'm going to Google Jordan Addison, USC, transfer. Pops up, CBS Sports, Shahan J. Haraja. And I I scream at my laptop, I know that guy. Like, (laughs) Will Ferrell, when Santa comes in, I know him. I know him. That's you. So I was reading your story. Again, this is part of my handicap. It's like, what's Doug's research? Read what Sean wrote. I was reading like all about, but like there's all these things, right? Caleb Williams, Mario Williams from Oklahoma, uh, Travis Dye from Oregon, like all these pieces. Is it going to be a team? If he can make it a team, 
and I must feel bad taking this because you had already picked USC as a playoff team six weeks ago. But right, if it comes together, like they're kind of there, aren't they? Yeah, and actually, uh, I'll have another story coming out today that, oh. that should be up by the time that uh, that that this podcast is out, where I kind of go through the biggest challenge facing every first year head coach, and for Lincoln Riley, I, I just very simply said, "Win! You have hmm. to win right away. There's no waiting period." Like. If Lincoln Riley doesn't win 10 games in year one, it is a failure. It is 100% a failure. And that is the most absurd expectation for any coach to ever have in the history of college football. But guess what, Lincoln Riley? That's what happens when you sign a $100 million contract to leave Oklahoma and then bring in the greatest transfer recruiting class of all time, including a potential preseason top five Heisman guy in Caleb Williams and the Bolitnikoff winner in Jordan Addison. You have to win right now. There is no waiting game. There's no waiting period. Uh, you know, I think that uh, that obviously Utah has a chance to to be the, that team from the Pac-12. So I'm not saying they have to make the playoff or necessarily win the Pac-12 in year one, but they damn well better come second <laughs> if they if they really want this to be considered a successful year. Is it fair? to have to wonder not doubt but to wonder about what kind of head coach Lincoln Riley is not the offensive stuff but like you know when you talk about Saban he's a defensive genius he's a recruiting mastermind but there's a lot of culture and structure stuff right I think Dabo Sweeney has a culture at Clemson Ryan Day at Ohio State talks a lot about culture I'm not going to pretend that that's not I mean every head coach has that to some extent as an outsider when I think of Lincoln Riley, that's not what I think. I think of offensive acumen. But there is something here, right, to bring the parts together. Is it fair to wonder about that, or is that just a silly thing of like, well, how could a guy win this many games if he doesn't have a great culture? Yeah, I, I think that what becomes interesting is Oklahoma fans, by the way, have been making this case since the second that Lincoln Riley left, and it definitely has nothing to do with the fact that Lincoln Riley left. But I think a, a very interesting and maybe legitimate point that they do have is that their best team was probably the first team after Stoops. And they've slightly atrophied since then. Now, I think that's a little overstated. They've won 11 games every year. It's not that big of a deal. Sometimes you just hit on players that that you didn't before. But... I do think that, um, you know, and, and I think that I, I, I think that we've had this conversation a little bit with both Lincoln Riley and with Ryan Day. I, I think that sometimes when you have a, a schematic offensive head coach, right, that was that was the wave a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Right. Everybody wanted Sean McVay. Everybody wanted that. Um, I, I think that we started to see a reversion back to defense because I think that it's tough to both be so focused on offense all the time. And also instill a tough physical culture in your team. I, I think that doing both of those things at the same time can be very difficult. And now with both of these guys, I mean, one, they're so good at building and recruiting teams. And they're obviously just so good at coaching football that they've been able to, to win their conference a whole bunch and be in the playoff and all that sort of stuff. But I am curious uh, what when it comes to team cultures. You know, I, I think that Ryan Day has seeded some of that to try to figure out, you know, how can we kind of, uh, you know, build this out. And I'm going to be curious now at USC, do they run into the same issues? Because I look at the last three NFL drafts, 
10 Oklahoma defensive players were drafted in the last three NFL drafts, including five in the first three rounds. This has not been a talent issue at Oklahoma when it comes to defense. It's been a cultural issue. It's been a balance issue. I, I am going to be curious, uh, you know, with Lincoln Riley coming in and he's going to have all the cards and, and at Oklahoma, they have one of the most stable administrations in the country with Joe Kistiglione leading the way at athletic director. It's going to be different. It's all going to be on Lincoln Riley and every one of his, his strengths is going to come out more than ever. And every one of his weaknesses are going to come out more than ever. So I'm curious. Uh, I definitely am curious. And I do think, you know, whether it's year one or whether it's year two, I, I mean, I think that they have to win or we're going to have to start asking some questions about Lincoln Riley. Was he your head coach that you would have picked or no? He was up there. He was up there. I'm not making this a hard and fast rule. I was probably going to try to limit myself to one guy from each team. Yeah. And so Lincoln Riley and then, you know, again, we'll, we'll get to more Caleb Williams and Alex Grinch. Those are the three guys that I that I considered. Um, and so I'm, I'm not going to take a USC guy with this first pick. I, I think that I want to I'll save them for later. But I think that those three guys all have a very legitimate case to be picked in this draft. Yeah, Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator. That's that's another guy on that list. OK, so Lincoln Riley first pick. Did you think it was clever? Not super clever. I think that it was correct. I think it was a correct. Thank you. Um, my picks will get more cleverer as we go along, though. Yeah. So looking forward to it. I'll be by the end. You'll think I'm the cleverest boy. That's my <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Whenever I do anything, like if I um I'm trying to think, if I lift like a 15 pound box of something and carry it in my house, or if I uh I'm trying to think what would be a thing. If I if we have to step across a puddle and I, I like step across like a, a puddle and I have to jump like a foot and a half, I'll I'll often ask my wife if she thinks I'm the bravest boy because if I just did that. <laughs> Again, this is to make a list of top 10 reasons that Doug's wife should be done with him. So I'm now, but on this podcast, I don't care if I'm brave. I just want to be clever. Who's your first pick? <laughs> I, I do have to mention, uh, Doug right now is wearing a hat that says never grow up. Uh, I, I just feel like that ties into all of this, if I'm being perfectly honest. But It's a Peter Pan hat. <laughs> I like it. I, I like it. I like it. Okay, my first pick. I am also going to get my head coach out of the way. Mm. Um, and which, which by the way, is not the smartest drafting strategy because Doug literally can't take another head coach, but I'm just going to go with my head coach first. Cause like you said, I think that it's a, I think that it's better to go obvious and then kind of maybe get a little clever or further down the list. I'm going to go with Dabo Swinney. Okay. So Dabo Swinney is proven. Dabas Winnie's the number two coach in college football, and I don't think it's that close. Actually, we released our list of the of every Power Five coach last week, and for some reason, Kirby Smart is number two ahead of Dabas Winnie, and I lost my mind when I realized that. That was not my ballot. I can promise you that. Nice. Uh, Dabas Winnie is the consensus number two coach. It, if you take Nick Saban off the board, which, you know, someday, 25 years down the road, he'll finally retire. Dabas Winnie is the guy. He's won multiple national championships. He built something at a school that does not win like that, right? Clemson is not one of these programs, uh, but he made it one of these programs with what he's been able to do both on and off the field. And I think that he is now facing his biggest challenge ever. For so long, for, for literally a decade, he had Brent Venables at defensive coordinator to 
ensure himself that he was going to have one of the top 10 to 15 defenses in the country every single year. I think that once Jeff Scott left for South Florida, we've seen a little bit of atrophy on the offensive side of the ball. And now Tony Elliott's gone. So they promoted internally for both positions. These are guys who have been around the program. So it will be consistency. I'm not saying it's not consistency, but it is a different dynamic having somebody other than Tony Elliott and Brent Venables lead those respective units. And that's not to say they won't be successful. They're still very talented, especially on defense. I think the defense might actually come along quicker than the offense just because of what they bring back. But you're asking now a first-year coordinator to fix DJ Uyunglele. <laughs> that That's a lot to ask. And so, um, you know, I, I have a lot of faith in Davis when I think that, again, he is that dude that's not Nick Saban, right? Like, he has been that good. But... This is a critical moment in the program's history at Clemson, in my opinion, because they're either going to keep on chugging, which they, they did after they lost Chad Morris to SMU, right? They, they just uh, promoted and, and kept on going. But I think this is a different challenge because of the amount of consistency that they've had and the amount of success that, uh, success that they've had. And this is going to be the moment where it kind of depends. Is Clemson going to continue to be Clemson long-term? or is this sort of the inevitable fall of, you know, which every team goes through. No, no team is good forever. And that doesn't change anything about what Dabba Swinney's legacy is, but are they going to continue to be that team that runs the ACC and makes the playoff wins uh, national championships? This is the first year where I think we find out. I do think there's a couple different things at play. One is that Dabo just sort of has a, I don't want to if I say conservative or old fashioned or just whatever, but like with the NIL world and that kind of thing, he has said a lot of things that like he doesn't particularly like where the sport is headed with name, image and likeness and transfer portal and that kind of thing. And they have not been particularly active in the transfer portal. And I don't know that Clemson is set up to take advantage of NIL as much as some other teams in larger areas are. So there's that part of it. I also think we see the ACC might be getting its stuff together a little bit. If Mario Cristobal in Miami become a thing, if Dave Dorn at NC State has his best team this year, is Mac Brown is is North Carolina actually on the rise? Maybe that that conference is less his domain, right? He just because everybody else is getting a little bit better, and then the assistants. Now it's hard. Listen, you're a head coach. You pay your assistants well. You empower them. You create a place where people want to stay, where they're not jumping for any head coach opportunity. They're waiting for the right head coach opportunity. That's a good job by the head coach to keep Brett Venables and Tony Elliott around for as long as he kept them. And then when they leave, it's like, up. Oh, Maybe you stink and it's all your coordinators. And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, I, I help keep them here. So I do think it's interesting. This could be the fall of the Clemson Empire. If it, if it is going to fall, it's going to start. Last year was the beginning crumbling. And now it's going to be like, yep, nope, they're done. They're done. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But you could see maybe this is the line. So I do think for as established and successful as he is, it is interesting to have, again, not doubts, but to wonder this much about a guy who's been this good because there's a lot in place that's changing around Clemson. Yeah, this is this is an inflection point, I think, more than anything else, right? This is, this is the moment where they either sink or swim, where they evolve or die. And Dabo Swinney, like you mentioned, I mean, people talk about what they, you know, say that they love about college football 
Thomas Winnie's program has embodied all of it, right? He is the guy who players love to to play for this program and they believe in him and they're very media friendly and they, you know, they do things the right way sort of thing, right? He's always been kind of a foil to Nick Saban, who is the like battened down and like, you know, closed off and all this sort of stuff. And so it's going to be interesting, right? Because that I think is less of an advantage in a world where players are transferring all the time. I mean, they took one transfer this year and it was a bounce back quarterback who who went to Northwestern and was like, this sucks. I'm coming home to basically be a, to basically be a quarterback coach in the room. So they're, they at this point have not taken advantage of the transfer portal. You see Alabama, of course, you know, lining up guys at every one of their positions of need. And, uh, and, and it's not going to be like that at Clemson there. I don't think that they're going to do that long-term. So it'll be interesting. I, I mean, again, if, if this is the fall of the Clemson empire, like that says nothing about Davis Winnie as a coach or his legacy or his ability or anything like that. His, his legacy is secure. He won two national championships, but I do think it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, it happens with every program, I, you know, Almost every program in the sport gets passed up at some point. Uh, is this a moment that it happens at Clemson? It'll be interesting to figure out. I got a clever one. Okay. Pick three coming next on the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. Doug and Shahan are back. Two head coaches in the house. I'm going player, non-quarterback. And you sort of mentioned it, Shahan. Alabama filling gaps. And I'm going to pick a gap they filled pretty recently. And I'm taking Tyler Steen, tackle Vanderbilt, who is now tackle Alabama. Alabama got through most of spring football. was like, you know what? We need a starting left tackle. And there was a starting left tackle from Vanderbilt in the portal. And they were like, come on. So Tyler Steen is there. The guys that they tried at left tackle in the spring, Amari Kite, he's a fourth-year guy. Kendall Randolph, he's a sixth-year guy. Neither of them play have played that much in their careers. Kendall Randolph's actually played a little tight end at times. Kendall Randolph was the number 180 overall player in the class of 2017. Amari Kite, the number 76 overall player in the class of 2019. These are guys, they were big recruits, but they've been there a long time and not really done much. Now, Evan Neal was there at left tackle. So when Evan Neal, maybe the best left tackle in the country, Consensus All-American is there. It's like, okay, well, nobody else gets to play. But we talked a lot on this podcast a year ago about Chris Owens, the right tackle at Alabama. So now they're there. It's probably Steen at left tackle. And then JC Latham, who was a five-star recruit a couple years ago, looks like the guy at right tackle for now. But a year ago, it was like, oh, they have one tackle problem, but their other tackle is the best tackle in the country. Now, we're not sure about either tackle, and we're not that sure about the entire offensive line, and they have a new offensive line coach. This is the Alabama offensive line question. It's the number one question about Alabama this year. But, Shahan, it's one of those things. It's Saban keeps telling us, if you're going to let me do it, I'm going to do it. So they went and got a starter, another starter in the SEC, this is like the exact thing I think that teams would not want in the portal. It's like, oh, Vanderbilt, how are you? You're the worst program in the SEC. What do you have, one good player? They're like, yeah, we have one good player. Don't take him, Nick. And Nick's like, sorry, we need him. So, so, <laughs> But also, if you're Alabama, it's like, hey, you're Alabama. You're trying to win the national title. 
who's your left tackle? And this Vanderbilt guy is like, well, is that, is that how you want to be doing that? Like, it's interesting to me that Alabama needs to go get a Vanderbilt guy at left tackle. So I think him specifically is actually the pick, but also it's a way to talk about offensive line. But again, like he, he has to be good for them because they didn't like what they saw in spring among the other left tackle options. Yeah, many people are saying uh, Nick Saban can't win without Kyle Flood. It's uh, it's crazy. Who would have thought? But uh, <laughs> that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about Kyle Flood, former Rutgers coach. Just yeah, propping up the Saban dynasty. I've heard people say that he's a pretty nice man. So you know, I'll take that. Anyway, uh, Alabama's offensive line last year <laughs> was it. Watching Alabama was so weird because you're just like this isn't Alabama. This is their scout team, right? Like this is, this is not, <laughs> this is not the deal. And actually that's where I go back to, to the Bryce Young thing, right? He covered up a lot. Yes. He covered up a lot for that offensive line. Like you mentioned, Evan Neal, uh, the most physically gifted uh, offensive tackle in the country. They have some guys that I like on the interior though. I mean, again, like Emil Ikiori, he showed some stuff, but he's not like a sure thing. Um, they have, of course, recruited well because they're Alabama. Of course, they recruited well. Um, but yeah, this the fact that they had to do this, the fact that they had to go to the portal to shore up an offensive tackle position is very unsaving. Like to to have to do this, uh, you know. I mean, because offensive line is such a position where you grow and develop on your roster, right? That, that's what set Alabama apart for so long is their dominance in the trenches. And I've said, you know, you know, I've been pretty consistent. I think Alabama's the best team in the country. I think that they're the national championship favorites. I think that we're on an Alabama-Ohio State collision course uh, in the national championship game. But if their offensive line is going to only be average, and not just average for like Alabama, but like average as an SEC unit, uh, that's concerning to me. I, I mean, they have a lot of talent everywhere else. I think that obviously their skill position talents, uh, adding uh, Jermaine Burton, of course, from Georgia, that's going to help. Bryce Young is, to me, the best quarterback in the country. And I think their defense has a chance to be really good. But, like, if you're not going to be great on the offensive line, that that makes things a whole lot harder. Yeah. All right. Next pick to you. Who you got? Something as clever as Tyler Steen? I... <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna stay a little bit uh, bigger picture for the moment, and I'm gonna go to your neck of the woods, and I'm gonna pick Jim Knowles. I think that uh, we, we mentioned it a little bit with Lincoln Riley. You know, I, I I think that it's tough to be a really offensive minded coach and still instill a tough defensive philosophy. And we saw Jeff Halfley do it at a pretty high level. Of course, in in Ryan Day's second season, that was right, second season, and Jeff Halfley was year one for Ryan Day. Year one, year one, yeah. and so you know, I, I think that I think that when you have a defensive coordinator who can command a room and really knows what to do with his unit, it can change a whole lot. Because as we know, talent is not the issue at Ohio State. I, I mean, they have guys that that 
obviously ha- were higher recruited or more athletic than the guys that uh, that Jim Knowles coached at Oklahoma State. And so I think the question is going to be not will he be successful, but how quickly can he be successful? Because, of course, they get Notre Dame in week one. I, I don't expect Notre Dame to win that game, but I, I think that it's going to be a good test for that defense uh, right off the bat. I mean, there, there's going to be no adjustment period. There's going to be no uh, you know easing into it. It's Notre Dame right from the start. And so... I think that that's going to be the question because you look at Jim Knowles, what he did at Oklahoma State. It took a couple of years because he wanted to find guys who fit his system. He wanted to find what works best. He wanted to evolve in some ways with the Big 12. And eventually he did. And, and again, I've said this over and over and over again. There was Georgia, which is the best defense in the country. There was Wisconsin, which was the second best defense in the country. And Oklahoma State had a case to be number three. And. I think that he's going to to have a really good chance to continue that at Ohio State. I, I mean, his three safety look is going to be so much better a fit, I think, for the college football playoff than this single high garbage that Ohio State's run against Alabama and the like, you know. And so, I, I do think that this is a long term move, and so this is really, I think, going to pay off in the playoff if it happens, right? When they do finally get to that route, they're probably going to have slightly more struggles against some of these Big Ten teams in order to be more prepared to be ready for the college football playoff. Because, you know, obviously the Big 12, uh, sorry, the Big 10 is a bulky league. You know, there's going to be times where they're just going to try to run it over guys. And and Jim Knowles is going to set a safety up here to try to, you know, stop an offensive tackle. And and Illinois is going to run their nine offensive linemen package. And, and it's going to be weird. But I think that it'll pay off. I think that this is the kind of hire that you need to make to win the national championship. And we'll see what happens. I mean, again, if, if it is a transitionary year versus being a year where Jim Knowles just takes the reins and runs with it. I think that really could determine whether Ohio state is truly a national championship caliber team. I think he could have been the first pick when I started making my list. He's the first name I wrote down because it's obvious. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast. We talked about him on the big 10 show, the big 10 preview we did last week. I think it's, you know, as impactful an assistant coach hire that as Ohio State's ever made. I think it's as impactful an assistant coach hire as we've seen in college football in 15 years because it, he's not – like Lincoln Riley was a hugely impactful coordinator hire at Oklahoma. But a lot of times, Joe Brady, right, at at uh, at LSU, Dave Aranda at LSU when they paid him and got him from Wisconsin as a defensive coordinator. But – a lot of those times, almost all those times, when you're getting like a coordinator that's really going to change your program, it's somebody on the way up, and you're catching them on the way up on their way to head coach. Jim Knowles is not that. Jim Knowles was the head coach at Cornell. Now he's been at Duke and Oklahoma State. He's he's not trying to get somewhere. He's where he was trying to get. It's like what at this point in his career, what's he trying to be? A defensive coordinator at one of the best programs in the country. Okay, that's what he is. Almost two million, million bucks a year. They had the number one offense statistically in the country last year. They should again this year. And will the defense be good enough? I mean, it's, it's, we had to, he had to get picked. He was going to get picked. But honestly, like straight up, if, as you've been saying multiple times, if you think it's Bama and Ohio State on a collision course, then it's like it's Jim Knowles. It's can he fix the defense? Because Bama, when you look at the the best programs, Bama just moves assistant coaches in and out. So I don't think any, and we had this discussion on the Mount Rushmore assistant coach when we did the four best assistant coaches in the history of the college football playoff. You know, Lane Kiffin sort of changed the model at Alabama with what they wanted in an offensive coordinator. But then since then, right, 
Brian Dable, he was important. Michael Oxley, he was important. Steve Sarkeesian, he was important. Bill O'Brien, he's important. But nobody would rise to the level of Jim Knowles because they expect to move guys in and out. It's kind of how it works. Clemson, meanwhile, hasn't had to make a hire in a decade. So they just kept the same guy. Now, of course, it's important now, but they promoted from within. They didn't go get an outside guy. I, I would say that Brent Venables is probably the last kind of hire like this that's that's been made and it, because he was that kind of hire. Yes. So, and that was 12 years ago. I clubs it, whatever it was. So that idea, but like when you look at Bama just moves assistance in and out, Clemson keeps assistance forever. Ohio State is is the team that's trying to be at that level of those two teams. And they made like, they made a save us. They made a come save us coordinator hire, which I don't know that a program this good, because even when Clemson hired Brent Venables, Clemson wasn't Clemson yet. Brent Venables helped make Clemson Clemson. Ohio State, they're like, hey, we're trying to win national titles. We're not quite there. To, to, To make a come save us coordinator hire at a program this established, there's not a gazillion examples that leap to mind. So Jim Knowles had to get picked. He was going to get picked. If we were just going straight up impact at a high level team, I absolutely think he could be the number one pick here. So that's a very good pick by you. I, I think that you're actually forgetting uh, when, when Bob Stoops made a come save us move and hired a former Arizona coach, Mike Stoops. And unfortunately they died. Oh, not in it, not for real. This, this, this the, the football team did. They're yeah. brothers. Yes, their their defense died. Their defense <laughs> they never came back. They're brothers, though. They're yes. brothers. It's hard to keep. There's so many stoopses. I don't even know what's the plural of stoops. Is the plural of stoops stoops, or is the plural of stoops stoopses? Like moose. It's not mooses. As much as you might think it should be mooses, it's not. It's also not meese. It's moose. <laughs> Has anyone asked them that? Bob, Bob, Bob. <laughs> Is the poll of Stoops Stoops? <laughs> Do you know? You're a national writer. You should know this. I, I primarily hear them referred to as the Stoops brothers to try to avoid that very issue. Exactly. See, people are trying to get around it. That's you're looking for off-season content. Uh, the correct pluralization of the best head coaches of the last 15 years in college football. <laughs> Like you had one Lincoln Riley, you have two Lincoln Rileys. It's a uh, well, <laughs> we'll see. I I, th- I I think that maybe this story is a, a you know if if you haven't uh, been watching college football up until the last five years, you're probably like, why is there so much conversation about the Kentucky coach and an Alabama analyst? Why is there so much conversation about this? It's just grammar. It's just a grammar it's conversation. Grammar. That's all. Uh, all right, I'm going to make another attempted clever pick and i'm gonna take utah cornerback to travis broughton okay and here's why clark phillips is the number one corner for utah he's quite good last year in the rose bowl utah literally didn't have a second cornerback they were moving guys from other positions to play that other second cornerback spot they had so many injuries broughton got hurt early last year and was out he's back he looked good in spring If Utah can stop the passing game, right, they're a good defense. If they have two corners they can rely on, I like Cam Rising at quarterback. I like their running back. I like their tight ends. I think they're good. 
They're going to be right there with USC. But when they play USC in the Pac-12, if they have a gigantic hole in their secondary, you know who's going to take advantage of that? Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, Caleb Williams, and Lincoln Riley. So to Travis Broughton, if he's he- and he's back healthy, his injury last year helped blow a hole in that secondary. I think the play of Utah's secondary might be the deciding factor of who wins the Pac-12. And who wins the Pac-12? They haven't been in the playoff mix, the Pac-12. They should be in the playoff mix this year. When you have two programs as good right now, and not just programs, but teams right now, the specific teams, the players, the coaches right now, Utah and USC are playoff caliber in 2022. And the team that wins the Pac-12, I think has a chance. We It feels like in Alabama, Ohio State collision course. I think, I think USC and Utah maybe both have a chance to be good enough that they're not just semifinal fodder. I think they might have a chance to do something, but they got it, but only one's going to make it. And whether or not Utah can slow down the USC passing attack at all, I think is probably the determ- determining factor there. So to Travis Broughton, the number two corner at Utah is my next pick. I definitely disagree with you that uh, <laughs> that either of these teams can can beat Ohio State or Alabama unless Ohio State doesn't improve, to be honest, on the defensive side of the ball. But I do think that there is a very, very legitimate chance. I, actually, uh, l- let me take a step back. The Pac-12 eliminated divisions for this season, and they're just going to take number one versus number two to play for the Pac-12 championship. This is made to be a rematch of USC Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Like, I, I think it would be quite a disappointment, honestly, if this was not a top 10 matchup with a playoff spot on the line in the Pac-12 championship game. This That feels like what this should be. And so I, I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, USC, just the number of receivers that they have is ridiculous. Like, they, they had Mario Williams there. They, they obviously uh, added, I think, two or three other transfer receivers, including Jerry Rice's son. And they're like, hey, what if we also had the Bolitnikoff winner? What if we just took him and uh, mix that with Caleb Williams, mix that with Lincoln Riley? It's, it's just ridiculous. Mix that with 1,200-yard rusher in the Pac-12 Travis Diet. It, it's ridiculous. It, it's absolutely insane. But I think that you're right. Utah is a physical team. They are a, a tough defensive team. They've really made their hay, especially on the defensive line, uh, you know, in years past. But their cornerbacks historically are very, very good, too. I I, I should know. Uh, Jalen Jones, of course, a cornerback with the Chicago Bears now. But they, I think that they do have a chance to be special in that unit. They obviously return a lot of production across the roster. But if they can get that second cornerback down... I do agree that that will be a huge key to them being able to keep up with uh, with Oklahoma's receivers. I'm sorry, with USC's receivers. Sorry. <laughs> you said that like, I should know. You said that like, I should know. I played cornerback at Utah. And it was like, no, you're just a Bears <laughs> fan. I was like, what? How, why should you know that? Did the guy go to your high school? Did you like babysit somebody who plays cornerback at Utah? I was like, oh, no, just was a Bears fan. So they play October 15th in Salt Lake City. And it's like specifically – like this game, it's like, oh, why did the Pac-12 get rid of divisions in a nanosecond as soon as the rule was passed? It's because they won a USC-Utah rematch. It's not theoretical. It's not because they want, oh, we don't want to have to have a North team in the champion. It's, it's Utah-USC. Now, 
I don't know that two Utah USC games is actually the best thing for the Pac-12. Why is that better? Because they're going to play on October 15th. And if that's the de facto championship game, then okay. Because if they wind up, if Utah wins at home, and then USC beats Utah in the rematch in the Pac-12 championship game, who goes to the playoff? Is that better? Is that better for the Pac-12 that now each that their two best teams each have one loss and they split with each other? And now the committee has to figure that out. I don't know why that – it makes for a better game in the title game. It'll be more exciting. But as it stands right now, if you have divisions – and I'll get off of this because it's maybe worth the whole podcast or it's not worth anything. The two best teams have to play because if you're in opposite divisions, you play in the championship game because you're in opposite divisions. And if the two best teams are in the same division, you play during the regular season. So it's not like, oh, well, we have to have the two best teams in the playoff, to, uh, two best teams in the championship game to ensure that they play each other. They're already guaranteed to play each other. They just might not play it in December on a neutral field in a game sponsored by a beverage. But that's okay. Like if that's if you're creating a rematch, why do we need a second game? It might just be that the Pac-12 championship game is in October. So I, I, some of these, the conferences that are doing this, and they're all going to do it, I don't know if they actually are going to get what they want because what they might get is a split and confusion. And there's only two options. Either you get the same result as the first time, and it's like, okay, well, why would you do that again? Or you get a split, and it's like, well, now what do we do? And I'm not sure either of those is good. I, I, I have the answer for you, uh, and – the answer is, first of all, the Pac-12 has not been in the playoffs since 2016. That's important context. But let's look at USC, right? USC plays Utah on the road October 15th. They play Notre Dame at home November 26th. If they lose either of those games, 11-1 and is not enough to get them into the playoff. They need to maximize their opportunities for elite games. Because they just don't have that many. Looking at the rest of their schedule, there's a lot of games I like. There's a lot of games I think will be a lot of fun. I'm excited for, you know, USC Washington State. I'm excited for USC Oregon State. But those games are not getting USC into the college football playoff. They need to add as many quality matchups as they possibly can to have a chance. Because again, if they go through, and let's say from the north, it's, uh, let's say that it's number 24 Washington instead of number eight Utah in the rematch, right? They can't afford to not have the best possible matchup. This is not the Big Ten. This is not the SEC. This is not a situation where these teams are just guaranteed if they win this game, if they go through and only lose one game in the regular season, they're going to be in the playoff. That's not how the Pac-12 works. I I think that actually long-term, you know, uh, with the the ACC, with the Pac-12 and the Big 12, they're going to move more towards this because they do need to maximize that 13th data points. I don't think you get as much credit for a rematch. I don't think it counts as two wins in the minds of the committee. I think it counts as like one and a half. It's like we beat them and you beat them again. So I, I get it. It's like, well, we don't have that many good teams. Let's have the good teams play each other as much as possible. But I don't know. I, I mean, I do know, we, but we're not going to do that right now. We might do it later. It might be a worthwhile discussion for later. Let's get to your sixth pick in this draft. Who is it? All right, my sixth pick in this draft. So – I've gone with a head coach at this point. I've gone with a defensive coordinator at this point. I think it's time just to to take that quarterback, and I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to go with Bryce Young. 
Uh, like you kind of mentioned off the top, obviously, I think Bryce Young is more of a known commodity than a lot of the quarterbacks who might be in this conversation. But I do think that he is going to be asked to play as important a role as any quarterback in the country in terms of his team being elite because they do have guys coming in at at receiver. They've got Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell. Of course, uh, they were in the conversation for Jordan Addison, but like we saw once those two receivers, uh, John Mechie and Jamison Williams both went down with injuries last year. They did not have a whole lot ready. It's been an off season. They're going to have some young guys who I think are more ready than they were before, but At the same time, I I don't think that this is an elite, elite receiver group. I don't think that this is an elite, elite offense. They have some nice pieces at running deck. Obviously, the offensive line we've touched on, it's not going to be a great unit. I think that the one elite part of Alabama's offense is Bryce Young. And I think he's going to be asked to cover up for a whole lot just to give other players a chance to be special. So, so yes, I do think that there's a lot that makes sense to, uh, I, I think that there's a lot that makes sense in terms of what we should expect of him. But if Bryce Young is 75% of the player that he was last year, I don't think that Alabama's a playoff team. Okay. So this is, I was trying to figure out what the distinction is here. This is a good versus great distinction, right? Good Bryce Young versus great Bryce Young might be the difference of Alabama wins it all or Alabama doesn't make the playoff. Yeah, and he has to elevate everybody around him, I think, more than people realize. You mentioned last year, uh, you know, what if we do have one of these all-time crazy quarterbacks in college football right now and we just don't notice because he plays for Alabama I I think that this is the year where that really shines through because you know I think last year they had no business in my opinion being in the national championship game based on what that roster was and and if if their receivers aren't hurt they might have a national championship under their belt which I think that even Nick Saban would tell you would be their worst national championship team so I I think that heading into 2022 losing those two receivers to the first round of the NFL draft uh, I I think that they have or, or losing one of them to the first round one of them to the third round i believe but they have a chance i think uh to be really good but only if bryce young continues to play at a heisman caliber level that is the level that he needs to play at for alabama to be the kind of team that we expect them to be and that is a high bar you know bryce young has been so good for for a full year at this point that i think that we expect that but what he does is not normal and i think that he needs to continue to be not just a good quarterback but arguably the best quarterback in the country week in and week out for Alabama to really hit its ceiling. Okay, six picks in, four picks to go. We'll get to those after this on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, pick number seven. I am going to double up on a team that we've already talked about because I don't have anybody... I only did six people and other people got picked. I'm trying to, I was trying to think, I don't know who the Georgia person is on this. I don't want to say too much about Georgia because maybe you have somebody. I'm trying to think like, oh, is it Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann? Because they're the new defensive coordinators replacing Dan Lanning, but really it's still a Kirby Smart defense. Is it Stetson Bennett who's back at quarterback? Is it Jalen Carter as the heart of that? I, I couldn't figure out what single person to pick from the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs, and I don't want to overlook Georgia, but I couldn't figure it out. I still, I just think the Clemson situation of whether, this is a team that has been right at the heart of everything to do with the playoff. 
the whole time. They didn't make the first. They made the next six. They didn't make it last year. Clemson being in versus not being in is a game changer. It it is they are they are they are Clemson. They are the number two program in the country, and they weren't in it last year. And the difference of them getting in or not is such a huge deal. It changes everything else. Their defense is so good. I'm not picking a defensive person because it really is all about their quarterback play. So I am going to take Brandon Streeter, who's been their quarterback's coach, was the passing game coordinator last year with Tony Elliott after Jeff Scott has left. Now that Tony Elliott is gone as the head coach at Virginia, he is the offensive coordinator. But it's not even calling the plays. It's... If DJ Uyunglele is not getting it done and Cade Klubnik is ready, he's going to have to be to tell the guy to tell Dabo, you've got to make the switch. And that decision in 2015, Ohio State's quarterbacks coach was, was new and was not able to figure out Cardell Jones and JT Barrett and not figuring out quarterback torpedoed Ohio State's chances of repeating. Clemson's not trying to repeat, but if they can get quarterback right, I think they have enough. They certainly have enough on defense. Kobe Pace, Will Shipley in the backfield, good enough. Do they have enough at receiver? We'll see. But that's what held them back last year. And it's gonna. it might be the decision. Now, if it's getting DJ back to DJ, then there is no decision. Oh, no, he's awesome now. Great. But if they have to make a choice, do you go to the five-star freshman, Cade Klubnik? Brandon Streeter's the guy in the room. And he's going to have to inform, perhaps persuade Dabo Sweeney to maybe make a call here. And that's the kind of thing we've seen that, Shahan. We have seen quarterback changes determine national championships, whether it's at halftime of the national championship game or whether it's in October. So I think that's that's possible for this team. Alabama's not changing quarterbacks. Ohio State's not changing quarterbacks. Georgia, after what we saw last year, they're not changing quarterbacks. USC's not changing quarterbacks, right? This is the place where there's maybe a pivot point at the most important position on the field. So I'll take not one of the quarterbacks. I'll take Brandon Streeter, the guy in the room that maybe has to make that determination. Does Brandon Streeter have to be the one who calls up Dr. Pepper and asks them to to pull the ad? How does that work? I'm not familiar. I don't know. I mean, it is one of those. Does DJ just have to like take his bag of money and be like, here, Cade? Like it's, I mean, it is. It's one of the things. The thing about all this stuff with like the name, image, and likeness is these people are not great at picking who to give money to yet. Like they're given, <laughs> everybody's given money because the collectives are all given money on potential. Give the money to the established guys. You know who should have a lot of money right now? Bryce Young. Don't yeah. be giving it to recruits or guys who haven't done anything yet. <laughs> so yes, I don't know if Cade gets the bag or not. I, I mean, to be clear, I don't necessarily know that they get better as time goes on because I you could not go anywhere in America without seeing a Baker Mayfield commercial for like three years even after he was proven to be only okay but no i I think this makes a lot of sense i i think that this is going to be a moment where we see is dabas really going to be committed to running the same kind of program that he did before because there's no question that if jeff scott or tony elliott told him we need to make a quarterback change then it's happening like he is listening to his guys he's trusting his guys and i think that just his decision to promote from within is a huge endorsement that he wants to continue that way. You know, I I think that that is such an interesting way to run a program where you really feel empowered within the confines of a program, but it is going to be put to the test in a different way this year with DJ, who by the way is a big face on that campus is a big vocal guy in that locker room. 
to decide to sit him for a freshman would be a huge deal. And so it, it will be definitely interesting, interesting to see, is Brandon Streeter up to that challenge? And is Dabo Swinney going to kind of keep that thing going where he is kind of trusting these guys? All right, pick eight to you. All right, I'm going to go back to the West Coast. I'm going to go back to USC. But I'm not going to go with any of these million offensive guys that they've got. I'm actually going to go with somebody who I think is one of the more underrated transfers that they've gotten. And that's Arizona State linebacker Eric Gentry. So Eric Gentry played a lot as a freshman last year, and it was a shock when he decided to leave Arizona State for the transfer portal. He was kind of like the Jaden Daniels on the defensive side of the ball for them. Um, As a freshman last year, 45 tackles, five tackles for loss. He plays linebacker. I think what USC is going to need defensively. They brought in like four or five cornerbacks through the transfer portal. They've got some guys coming in. Damani Jackson's a top 10 player in the country, uh, a five-star recruit who I think is going to compete for playing time at cornerback. So like, I feel like they have enough guys to be okay there. They weren't horrible on the defensive line last year. Obviously, you hope they grow up. I think that linebacker is really where they need to grow. And to have somebody as dynamic, somebody who gets behind the line of scrimmage, uh, somebody who moves as well as Eric Gentry, I'll be curious to see where they deploy him exactly. He's he's huge. He's six foot six. They could put him on the edge. They could decide to put him in the middle. I, I'd be very curious to know. Um, but they need somebody to step up at linebacker, I think, and really be a difference maker, really be a leader on that side of the ball. I, I think that Eric Gentry has a chance to be that guy. I'll also mention Shane Lee from Alabama who transferred, but uh, he was a guy as a freshman, had a great, great campaign, dealt with injuries, never really got back to what he was. But I think that Eric Gentry really is that guy. You know, If somebody does become an all-pack 12 player on the defensive side of the ball, I, I think it has a chance to be Eric Gentry. It's a similar conversation as Ohio State, right? Like, oh, you think, you know, the offense should be great. Will the defense be good enough? Is that simplistic? When we talk about USC, I thought maybe you'd go Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator here. I like going like this kind of player instead of Alex Grinch. Of course, we kind of know what Alex Grinch is, which is like, he's been okay. I don't know. Lincoln Riley is tied his ship to him. But is it is is that the deal with USC? The offense is playoff worthy. The defense has to be good enough to not hold him back. I mean, it would be a shock if USC didn't have a top five offense in the country, right? With what they have, with the teams that they go against who, ne- who aren't necessarily prepared to stop them, right? Cause, cause I think that one thing that does get lost in all of this is the entire Big 12 is built to stop Lincoln Riley because that's what every team has had to do for years at this point. Now he's going to a league where the hell is Jed Fish going to do against that? Whoa. <laughs> what the hell is you know i mean what the hell is herm edwards gonna do against that this league is not yet built to stop the sort of aggressive stuff that lincoln riley can do and now he's working with an even bigger talent advantage at usc versus some of these other teams in the pac-12 and the historic pac-12 south that i guess no longer exists anymore i, I think it'll be interesting and so i think that offensively if they're not elite i'm concerned <laughs> about what lincoln riley's gonna do there defensively they've got a lot of questions i i've been i've said this over and over again usc was not a four and eight team last year in terms of quality right i mean they fired their coach after week two and guess what 
things sucked after that. <laughs> Big surprise that the interim coach did not manage to hold things together. Who could have seen that coming? Uh, I've said the same thing about Washington. I think that Washington is very undervalued as a five and seven team last year because when you fire your coach midseason and things are a mess off the field, like that's that's not normal. That that's losing a year, right? And so, um, USC under Clay Helton was year in year out an eight win caliber team. I think that just bringing in Lincoln Riley and the guys that they brought in, that should be enough to get them to ten eleven right away. And so I, I think though that if they do that, it has to be building up on that defensive side of the ball. And they they agree. They brought in 11 transfers on the defensive side of the ball, uh, including guys like Eric Gentry and Shane Lee and a bunch of guys on the de- in the defensive backfield. So they know what what's plaguing them, and uh, I'll be curious to see if they can get it fixed right away. All right, we've made eight picks so far. Two each from Alabama, Clemson, and USC. One from Ohio State, one from Utah. As we think about the playoff, is that reflective? Are we are we in the right range here? No question. No question. Okay. I mean, I think that I think that we've talked so much about obviously those four teams that took up heading into last year, 24 of the 28 playoff spots, I guess is what 25 of the 32 now, since three of them missed the playoff last year. But uh but you know, these are teams that we expect to be in the conversation. I think that Alabama and Ohio State, again, we've mentioned, I think are the favorites. I think that USC and Utah are sort of the swing picks, right? They're, they're the teams that I think have a chance to become the first uh team in the Pac-12 since 2016 to make the field. And and Clemson, you can just never really count out because they've been the number two team of the playoff era. So I think this is very representative. And again, as we talked about, Lincoln Riley kind of just took the Oklahoma stuff with him to USC. So when we started this podcast, it was Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. If you take the Oklahoma stuff with Lincoln Riley, that it's more about the coach and the program. They're, they're going to yell at you on Twitter for saying that, taking the Oklahoma stuff with you. They're, they're going to – Oklahoma's a very proud program, Doug. I mean, you could make you could make like a Dylan Gabriel case, right? Oklahoma quarterback this year, maybe you will. Well, you already made your quarterback choice, and I'm not taking him. <laughs> um, there are Oklahoma people you could talk about here. There are Baylor people you could talk about here with our final pick. There are we haven't discussed anybody in the Big Twelve. I don't. You can't take Quinn Ewers. You already ah, oh, you took Bryce Young. You can't take Quinn well, Ewers. Yeah, we're talking about the playoff. Why would we talk about Quinn Ewers? <laughs> what if? What about week two when Quinn Ewers? Outplays Bryce Young, then you'll eat those words. Uh, all right, I'm going to take my quarterback. Yeah, good luck with that. What? I can uh, uh, maybe an uh, editor take that out. Take the thing about where I said <laughs> Quinn Ewers is better than the Heisman winner. Sorry about that. No, no, leave it in. Leave it in. I have to. I have to stand by all the dumb stuff I said. Okay, this is my last pick. Uh, this is a weird one, but this is like a weird thing that I've been on. I they, you get on things, you have like an opinion, and it's like you just keep saying the same. So I'm taking the BYU quarterback. I'm taking Jaron Hall. And this is why. Because we've talked about could BYU be the Cincinnati of this season? They have Baylor. They have Oregon. They have Notre Dame. And then I thought to myself, well, a couple of years ago, BYU had a quarterback who was the number two pick in the draft. And it didn't matter for the playoff but that was the covid year in 2020 and byu that year because of covid because they're an independent and all the conferences were like i would not play a non-conference game sorry and they canceled everything byu in 2020 had games canceled against michigan state minnesota utah arizona state stanford and missouri 
So they had to patch together this crazy schedule. In 2020, Zach Wilson's the guy we're talking about. BYU went 11-1. and Zach Wilson played at a level that made him the number two pick in the NFL draft. They played Navy, Troy, Louisiana Tech, Texas San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State, North Alabama, Coastal Carolina, San Diego State, and UCF because they were desperate for games. So there was nothing like they, but they were like a top 20, top 10 team. They got as high as number eight after beating North Alabama. Then they lost to Coastal Carolina. So they got into the top 10 with that nothing schedule. They play Oregon and Baylor early. They play Notre Dame in the middle of the year. They have a, they will lurk. They are the everything falls apart and you're looking for a fourth team, which is what Cincinnati was last year. They're that team. And Jaron Hall has a chance to be a first-round pick at quarterback. And if he's awesome, you know what gets people's attention? Great quarterback play. He can move. He can throw off platform. He had a great year last year. They have a good enough schedule. If he is awesome, if it's like, hey, who are the three best quarterbacks in the country? Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Jaron Hall. That is going to help them lurk. I like them as a lurker, but he's, he's the thing that makes them cool. So the idea of, again, it's like he's good. He was good last year. If he's excellent, if he's like, is that guy a top 10 pick? If that's the conversation we're having about him and he's leading you, uh, BYU to an undefeated season with wins over Baylor, Oregon, and Notre Dame, they might do more than lurk. So I, I just think he actually has a chance to be that impactful. It's like in the second tier, they're going to need help. Even if they're undefeated, they're going to need a little help. But if he's great, they'll be on the radar. So he's the quarterback that I targeted here. I'll take him with my last pick, Jaron Hall at BYU. Yeah, and I think that you made the comparison to uh, to Zach Wilson a couple of years ago. Like you said, the schedules are just something completely different. Like that that's the biggest thing. Obviously, their 2020 team is always going to be remembered for going 11-1 and one and being top 10 uh, and having the number two pick in the NFL draft. But the 2021 team was infinitely more impressive Mm -hmm. because of what they had to play and they they finished number 13 in the playoff rankings which of course uh like i kind of threw out on twitter back in the time uh very much an opportunity for the playoff committee to say oh they're 13 and the top 12 are all teams that made the new year six games how about that so weird even though utah literally lost to byu anyway whatever Uh, but uh but you know i think that byu if they go through this schedule like if they go undefeated there's no question they're going to be in the college football playoff like their schedule is so hard. It's so freaking hard. I mean, it's one of those things. If if the Pac-12 champ is undefeated and the Big Ten champ is undefeated and the SEC champ is undefeated and, you know, Georgia has one loss just to Bama, it's not a lock, but they're in the top six and they can yell. Their schedule's really good. Your po- the point is that the schedule's good enough that nobody will be like, ah, oh, they didn't beat anybody. But like, no, they beat like three top 15 teams. Right, right. And so I, I think that that'll be enough. I mean, the reality is we never run into the situation where everybody's just undefeated. And, you know, it, especially in this upcoming gear, again, I think that there are two elite teams in the country, Alabama and Ohio State. And it's going to be a lot of chaos, I think, outside of that. I, I think that a lot of different teams have a chance. Clemson has a chance to get back into it. USC and, and Utah, like we've talked about, BYU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Like, there's going to be a lot of teams, I think, jockeying for two spots. And so if BYU goes through and, and beats a team, because uh, look, 
You've got Baylor, who has a really good chance to compete in the Big 12. You've got Oregon, who has a really good chance to compete in the Pac-12. you got Notre Dame, who should be a top 15 team. you got Arkansas. Uh, and then, you know, if Stanford couldn't suck, that would obviously help a whole lot. Uh, and, and then Utah State, who's defending Mountain West champs, too. So you've got a lot of really good teams on your schedule. Even Boise State is going to be an interesting one. I think you'll get credit for that. Uh, you know, Liberty, we'll, we'll see how they are this year with Malik Willis gone, but there's a lot of opportunities for them to look really good. And if they go through and they beat all those teams, and especially if some of these teams like Baylor and Oregon really show up uh, once they get into conference play, it's going to help them out a whole lot. So you like, you think it's clever. I think I made a clever. I, I think it's clever. I think it's clever. It, it is funny. I, I look at our list right now and mine is very mainstream and yours is very, uh, very nerdy. I, I did not expect it to go that way when we started this exercise. See, you think, you think I'm basic. That's that's an insult, I think, right? My kids, that's a thing that the young people say, you're basic, right? Yeah. You do the obvious thing like, oh, you, you know. So that that's your view of me generally. And so then I take to Travis Broughton and you're like, whoa, ho, ho, here, what's going on here? So, okay, let's see if you can redeem yourself and maybe you can be a little less basic with your 10th pick here. <laughs> I will say, I will say, I mean, obviously I have, no regrets about taking uh, Bryce Young because I do think he's going to be that important to the playoff race. But it is very, uh, it, it is very like, huh? There were a lot of off-board quarterbacks I really could have considered instead. Instead, and you know, just to mention Blake Shapin from Baylor, like you mentioned, who who just unseated the starter who made him transfer after spring ball. Right, like you're talking about variance. That that's a chance. Spencer Sanders, you know, I think that he's a quarterback who everybody's waiting to have his Kenny Pickett moment. Caleb Williams, uh, Caleb Williams, of course, Cam Rising at Utah, who you mentioned, I think is very good. But I think that whether if he is great, which I think is in the cards, that changes everything, I think, for that program. Bunch of ACC quarterbacks, Tyler Van Dyke, Sam Hartman. Incredible league for quarterbacks. We're, we're going to have a, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit, obviously, on our ACC preview, but we might have to go back and just like have an episode where we just enjoy the ACC quarterbacks because it is a crazy class this year. But I am going to go with another linebacker. Ooh. I'm going to go with Drake Thomas from NC State. That is not basic. You get credit for that. This is very, very, very clever. Okay. Well, I will say, I will say, if you if you really know the ACC, then maybe it's like slightly basic, but I don't I, I don't think it's super basic. So I did have to double check that he was back because his production was incredible last year. Ninety nine tackles, thirteen and a half tackles for loss, six sacks, three interceptions, a pick six, a pass defense. He was everywhere for that North Carolina State defense, and they bring back a lot. They they rank among the league, uh, you know, the the national leaders in returning production on both sides of the ball, especially on defense. And they do bring back a great quarterback in Devin Leary, another quarterback who I could have probably considered for this list instead of picking the little Heisman Trophy winner. But I, I think that North Carolina State, I've talked about it all offseason. This has to be their year. It has to be. With the quarterback that they bring back, who's going to be an NFL guy, Devin Leary, with the defense that they bring back, this has to be the year. And and I think that defensively, Drake Thomas gives them something different than maybe what they've had in the past. They are used to having great linemen, and you expect that they're going to keep developing a guy in the offensive line to replace Ike McQuanu, who obviously was picked in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that position. Defensive line, they continually put out guys, Bradley Chubb, that, that sort of uh, t- archetype. I, I think that if they have 
a dynamic linebacker like Drake Thomas. He gives them a different dimension to their defense. And he's disruptive. I, I think that that's really what I want to see from North Carolina State defensively is to continue to be disruptive because, you know, they, they can play fundamentally sound and do all the right things. But I think that being disruptive is something that gives them a chance to be special. And again, I, I will keep coming back to NC State until the moment that they break my heart because it's mm. going to happen because I've watched North Carolina State uh, sports before and it never ends the way that it's supposed to end. But they have a manageable non-conference. They play at Clemson on October 1st. I think that Drake Thomas has a really good chance to have a great game against Clemson uh, on October 1st. And if that's the case, I mean, then they're in the driver's seat in the ACC. So they need to be really good. This has to be the year for them, to, uh, in my mind, to win 10 games at least. And uh, and I think that Drake Thomas is going to be front and center in that effort. I'm excited for NC State, for you to be what Iowa State was for me a year ago. So... <laughs> Good luck, NC State, yeah. trying to not go seven and six. And I will say, I would much rather bet on Devin Leary than I would on Brock Purdy. So why did you, know? you have to say that? Why did you have to be like that, though? They had <laughs> Brees Hall. How about betting on Brees Hall? Brees Hall's great, uh, but uh, running backs do not carry you to the college football playoff. Why did I even bring it up? I did it to myself. <laughs> I thought I was done. I was done with my Iowa State pain. I, I thought that uh, that Iowa State had finally faded into irrelevancy now that Bro- Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant and we could be done with that. <laughs> USC, Bama, Clemson, two each. Utah, Ohio State, BYU, and North Carolina State, each with a person, the 10 most important people for the college football playoff race in 2022. This is our free show for all you guys. We appreciate you guys listening to it. We do an Apple podcast show every week as well. That's a bonus episode. You get four of those a month on Apple Podcasts. If you subscribe, it's $2.99 a month to subscribe. And you get four extra episodes of us. The plan for this week, we've been doing Mount Rushmore's. We did a, one of them here on the free show. We're doing most of those on the bonus episodes. Head coaches. The best, the four best head coaches in the history of the college football playoff. Now, it's not only going to be a Nick Saban conversation and it's not only going to be a Dabo Sweeney conversation because once you get past those, then it gets a little interesting. So we'll have that conversation for Apple Podcast subscribers this week. Still ahead, we're going to continue to work through other conferences. We've done the ACC, their playoff preview. We've done the Big Ten, their playoff preview. On deck, we have a great Big 12 contributor lined up to join us. We're going to do the SEC soon. We're going to do the Pac-12. We're going to get to those conferences as well. Thanks to you guys for listening. Make sure you're reading Shahan J. Haraja at CBS Sports. For Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. <laughs>